Welcome to Lesser Known Lewis, where two friends and C.S. Lewis fans explore his lesser known works. I'm Sean. And I'm Jordan. Join us in season two, where Lewis will be our guide in the Christian life, teaching us to pray and helping us to reflect through the seasons of Advent, Christmas, and Lent. Welcome everyone to the third essay in our Lenten series. This essay is called On Forgiveness, and I think it's a little bit of an ironic title today because this is the first essay that I will be covering without Sean. I think it turns out that the person he was having trouble with in earlier episodes may have been me. It might have been that I was the ex that, uh, <laughs> in the trouble with X, and maybe he just couldn't forgive me. No, I'm kidding, of course, but uh, the real reason Sean is not here is because he is traveling for work and just had meetings that he needed to be at for what he insists on calling his real job. I don't know why podcasting for free isn't a real job, but I guess that's totally excusable, though I will miss him. But in place of Sean today, I'm very pleased to have with me William O'Flaherty from the All About Jack podcast. Welcome, William. Well, thank you. It's, uh, it's good to be here. Well, would you mind telling us a little about yourself? What would our listeners uh, want to know or need to know about William O'Flaherty? Ah, well, you know, three words come to mind. Humble, kind, patient. Well, you know, these are actually a few of the at attributes that I wish I had. Yeah. <laughs> to quote a, um, uh, unknown poet, uh, uh, that says, uh, I am mercenary and self-seeking through and through. I want God, you all friends, merely to serve my turn. That's actually C.S. Lewis, uh, a poem, uh, as the ruin falls. Oh, really? But now my, uh, yes. Uh-huh. Uh, and then my, uh, day job is as a family counselor for a secular organization where the identified client is the child. I've been doing this for a, a 15 years now. And uh, I've also worked professionally in radio previously. I was actually a ghost editor for a small Christian magazine. And then my first job was actually as a uh, paper boy. And there were a few things in between that. Wow. <laughs> and uh, I'm married to my, uh, or I've been married to my wife, Lori, for 14 years. I live in the Morgantown, West Virginia area. And then uh, I have a so-so children's story published in an obscure guidance counselor magazine from back in the 1990s. And then uh, two books related to Lewis with maybe four uh, more in the next few years. But uh, we won't talk about that because who knows if uh, any of them will get off the ground. <laughs> well, I look forward to the four more. I've, I've heard of your two and I have yet to read them, but four more sounds very exciting. Um, I, was, I was really interested to see that you're from Morgantown. When I was, uh, during my brief stint living in the United States, I was living I think just an hour and a half north of where you live in Ambridge, Pennsylvania. And oh. one weekend, I took a very long road trip down to Asheville, North Carolina, and I think we drove through Morgantown. Yeah, you probably would have, yeah. The only thing I remember is I think that when we drove through on the, on the interstate, I remember seeing a Tim Hortons from the interstate. Do you know if you have a Tim Hortons in Morgantown? I am not a coffee drinker. Mm. Uh, I have heard of them, and uh, I think this was the first area that I originally had heard heard of them. But 
since uh, I'm not a connoisseur there, I have not uh, had uh, I've not gone there. Although obviously they have other things besides coffee. Yeah. It, well, it's okay. You're not really missing much. It's uh, it's it's uh, subpar coffee at best. But I was I was missing home, and I saw the Tim Hortons, and I thought, hey, that's that's something. But I kept driving anyway, so I wasn't missing it that much. <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, so uh, William, in my opinion, um, I was thinking about it, and you've had your podcast for over 10 years now, and you really seem to be very well connected in the whole Lewis community. And I thought a good term for you might be the godfather of C.S. Lewis podcasters. I don't know if that is a term you'd want to go by, but yeah, uh, you know, I have an offer you can't refuse. <laughs> I don't, I don't, that's probably not a mafia type accent. There. Yeah, I think it's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> um, maybe would you want to tell people what they might find on your podcast and um, what other Lewis-related projects you have? Well, since you mentioned I've been doing this for a while, let me just give a brief thumbnail sketch history. So back around 2007. I began to read Lewis more regularly. I had started back in uh, 1980. And um, anyway, so I, uh, you know, wanted to keep track of the various facts about his life and writing. So a couple of years after that, around 2009, I started something uh, that no one probably has heard of, but it was a C.S. Lewis daily quiz. It was a blog. And that grew into something that became the C.S. Lewis Minute podcast. Then one day I was going to hear someone speak about Lewis and I arranged to interview that author and that led me to do more authors. Hmm. And then my All About Jack podcast, uh, I separated that then uh, where um, I've initially, the, the initial focus was on just interviewing authors of books about Lewis. But now my primary focus of late here though is um, I've got a YouTube channel called Knowing and Understanding C.S. Lewis. But before I started that, actually, was my website, EssentialCSLewis.com. Now, I'm thinking now of doing another website, maybe call it William Has Too Many Names to Remember.com <laughs> or, so, or something like that. But yeah. uh, anyway, but uh, yeah, briefly, in addition to author interviews for my podcast, I do a feature on that uh, YouTube uh, venture, the calling the latest on C.S. Lewis, which is a five minute video that I do once or twice a month that features uh, timely and timeless information on Lewis. That's excellent. Well, I've checked out, um, I think, most of those projects that you have so far, and they're all very helpful uh, in their own way. Uh, aside from Lewis's better-known works, of course, because we're branded lesser-known Lewis, what is your lesser-known Lewis favorite that you would rec or recommend to people it could be an essay, but it could also be a book or or a poem that you started off a poem, with. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Let me cheat a little and say the sure. the poem that I quoted is you know from Lewis, which is actually something. Uh, poetry is not something that I've ever really enjoyed, but this particular poem was turned into a song by the legendary Phil Keggy in a 1977 project called "Love Broke Through." And so uh, that, that's something I definitely enjoy. It's definitely lesser known. Mm. But now, apart from that, you know, I'd probably say that any essay I've recently read that isn't well known might be my favorite at the time. Um, having said that, although this oh, I didn't necessarily read recently, but I included it in my latest on Lewis when I, I, I tell about some things that are just happening now, then some um, things that I've done to remind people of. And one was, uh, I mentioned most recently was, 
an essay called Psychoanalysis and Literary Criticism. This was an, uh, an essay chat that I've done, which is a feature from time to time. It's been a while since I've done it, but this one was just a couple years ago. And so in this essay, it, it has implications either beyond Freud, because it's mentioning psychoanalysis, has implications beyond literary criticism, because just like the poetry that I don't really get into from Lewis or anyone else, I'm not, you know, I'm not a... a, a a, a, a English type person, literature type person, but I am drawn to the way Lewis uh, can talk about those things and make it very understandable um, to the um, uh, average person. So, you know, even if you normally wouldn't read about this, either subject, Freud or literary criticism, this essay again called Psychoanalysis and Literary Criticism is uh, a very interesting one by Lewis. Yeah, I just listened to your episode on that essay uh, pretty recently. And I actually found it so interesting that I went and hunted down a book of, of Lewis's essays that I didn't have yet because I needed to find that essay. I thought that essay sounds very intriguing, um, even though the title of it sounds not intriguing at all, uh, Psychoanalysis and Literary Criticism. But um, what you discussed in it made it sound very relevant and and interesting. Um, and I think we might, I'm not sure yet because I haven't read it for myself. I'm waiting for the copy to arrive, but um, I think we might try and include it in our next season of essays. I'm not sure, but I think it goes with where, what we're going into next. Either way, I would recommend to our listeners that uh, they go and give your essay chats a listen um, because if they're interested in the essays we're talking about, I think they'll really enjoy your episodes on on Lewis's essays. They are, um, for one thing, they're a lot shorter than our episodes, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, I think they really complement um, what Sean and I have been doing really well. They're not exactly the same as what Sh- Sean and I have been doing in in one way. Um, I've been really impressed listening to yours because you seem to dive a lot deeper than what Sean and I are able to do, and you do it in a lot less time. And uh, so <laughs> I listen to them, and I find myself well, thank you. Yeah, I find myself learning so much, um, both about Lewis, but then also taking notes um, on how to podcast and, and how to, how to do what we're doing better. So. Um, I recommend you to our listeners, but also just thank you for um, the work you're doing on that. I, um, I've told this story about how we've started our podcast a number of times, and it, it, it starts by saying that I found Pints with Jack and what they were doing, and I wished that there was someone doing that for Lewis's essays. And at the time, I hadn't found your podcast yet, and it wasn't until I was a couple, we had released a couple episodes already that someone messaged me and said, have you heard about William O'Flaherty and his essay chats? And I, I panicked a little bit because I went, oh no, are we just, are we duplicating what someone else <laughs> is doing already? But um, I've, I've been really grateful to, to listen to all those uh, episodes. And um, yeah, I would, I'll put a link to, um, to your page there in our show notes for today's episode because I really think our listeners, um, obviously, if they like what we're doing, I think they will like what you're doing as well. So, 
Well, thanks. Yeah, the the, the approach I do, as you're alluding to, is uh, is different. When I imagined that, I I thought, well, I wanted to do something like real short to uh, familiarize people with things that were lesser known from Lewis, but I just simply called it essay chat. Probably could have called it concise essay chat because it, it is aimed to be short, although sometimes there's some of them are, are longer. But even for essays that are longer, I, I try to have the a guest who actually picks the essay uh, that they, you know, uh, in, you know, one of the essays that they would in, enjoy the most, you know, something I obviously hadn't already done. And then it's like, okay, let's come up with maybe three or four questions to have the guest address. And then I do some background information about it some history of it and then we'll say then we'll share some favorite quotes and then since it's been a couple of years since I've done it I forget what else I do <laughs> but uh, anyway yeah no well I like that format and well maybe on that note um, would you want to start this episode maybe by giving us uh, a look into the background of our our essay today which is on forgiveness before we kind of get into the content Sure, certainly. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, uh, you were noting in, in the show notes that you shared beforehand that this uh, essay was originally written in 1947, but it was not published in his lifetime. Well, additionally to that, uh, just a quick note that it is, if we haven't said it already, a very brief essay. It's less than 1500 words. And if I'm not mistaken, I believe the uh, corresponding or in, in mere Christianity, which I'll, I guess I'll note here in a second, anyway, more naturally. That is actually slightly longer, even though those are generally very short and not more than originally a 10 or 15 minute uh, broadcast. But uh, anyway, nevertheless, so this was never published before and the um, weight of glory is where it's best found now. And so from that preface, um, we find that uh, the person requesting Lewis to uh, write it, uh, which I guess I didn't already say that, it was a church magazine and he was presumably asked to write it and maybe was told to limit it. So that's why he uh, you know, had a, such a short essay as this. But um, anyway, so uh, that the person that asked him originally, the, the parish uh, pastor, um, uh, moved or was transferred to another church, and the preface to Weight of Glory just says, before it could be published. Hmm. So I guess, did he take it with him or something, <laughs> or it just got lost in the shuffle? But anyway, there is some overlap, which we probably won't get into, but we do encourage the listeners to check out Mere Christianity, the, uh, the chapter there. Uh, but that in Mere Christianity, that was originally done in the early 40s because they were separate books from the broadcast talks that became in the 50s, or 1952, Mere Christianity. So uh, in, in terms of just understanding this essay, um, you know, Lewis couldn't assume that uh, the, this, this Christian audience, this church publication, the people had necessarily read the book that he talked about. Uh, but the essays, or the other one is essentially an essay, you could say, is, uh, you know, again, relatively short, but slightly longer. And he brings up some other points, but I find this one actually a little bit more satisfying. But there is a couple aspects that I'll share uh, more so, I guess, in part two, that is, is interesting. But so finally, as I've already said, uh, it's best found in the Weight of Glory essay collection. Though it wasn't originally in it, if we want to give a little bit maybe more information here, uh, that essay collection was originally published in 1949, interestingly enough. So really? they could have made it in there. Uh, but then it came out in the 1980 revised edition of The Weight of Glory. But it actually came out five years before in another collection that is essentially out of, out of print and had mm. various other essays. 
but uh, but yeah, so there's some some background. I didn't know that the Weight of Glory essay collection was um, published so early as 1949. Wow, is that a 1949 copy? It yeah, looks... so for the people who can't see the video, yeah, yes. this is a re- see this is a reprint from 1975 of the 1949 edition. Wow. I I wanted to be able to compare. I think there were well, one of the essays in here uh they noted in the 1980 revised that there were some other papers from Lewis that found that added to what he actually um did uh and, and such but yeah this one originally only had uh five uh five essays well let's get into the content of this essay It starts out very simply. Lewis is asking the question, why the line, I believe in the forgiveness of sins, is in the creed? Because, of course, if a person is a Christian, he says, well, of course we believe in the forgiveness of sins. It should go without saying. Um, But he kind of theorizes that, well, perhaps... There is, uh, you know, it's, it's Jesus's teaching, of course, that God will not forgive our sins unless we forgive other people's sins against us. And it's, so then it's to remind us, it's there in the creed to remind us of this important thing, because it's actually not, um, Though it seems to go without saying, it's something that we need to be reminded of often, every time, probably every time we go to worship. Um, Even though it's in the Lord's Prayer, it's stated by the Lord, it's very clear, it's something that we need to be reminded of often. Because, as Lewis goes on to say, God doesn't say that we should forgive other people only if their sin isn't too frightful or that there are no extenuating uh, circumstances, like it's not just in special cases. Rather, Lewis writes this, we are to forgive them all, however spiteful, however mean, however often they are repeated. If we don't, we shall be forgiven none of our own. So I read the beginning of this essay and I think, I, I want to ask, you know, it's, objectively, what do you think about this? Or, or have you seen other people struggle with this? But being that it's Lent, um, and the two essays that we have covered on our show prior to this one in our Lenten series are Miserable Offenders, which was a sermon, and um, The Trouble with X, they both really have forced us to look at our sins and look at the sins of other people. And they're really all essays that force us to start close to home. And so I want to start close to home with this one as well and ask both yourself, William, but also myself, um, is this a teaching of Jesus that you have had to struggle with in your own life about forgiveness? And has it been difficult? Well, yeah, certainly this is uh, definitely uh, difficult, uh, even once you clearly understand what forgiveness means, as Lewis is going to bring some insightful clarity to uh, shortly. 
But um, one of the things in terms of thinking of it, uh, the way you were setting up is uh, years ago, I heard it explained to me uh, by a pastor who was uh, also training others in Christian counseling that the person who doesn't forgive others actually doesn't really comprehend what it means to be forgiven of their own sins. And so that notion, along with what Lewis uh, does with comparing and contrasting, excusing and forgiving, has definitely challenged me to be more mindful about forgiving others. Um, you know, when, you know, as we're getting to about when, when something isn't uh, necessarily excusable, which is an interesting distinction that uh, I'm not sure that I had seen from other people or it hadn't stood out. Mm-hmm. But yeah, but now later, though, I, I want to share that could be something that's somewhat simplistic from someone else that is a helpful three-step process of, of how to forgive others that has helped me um, tremendously. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll be sure to make, make sure you uh, bring that back in because I think I could use that. Um, so yeah, I think unforgiveness is one of these things that is difficult to deal with, but it's always something in our lives that we have to face because there are so many people who around us who sin against us and have fatal flaws that, as Lewis says in earlier essays, seem to shipwreck uh, all our plans. And that's annoying. But uh, <laughs> I recently ran into someone that I had been hurt by and had had to forgive. And I realized that I was really glad I had worked through that because we had to work together. And I think it would have been nearly impossible for us, well, for me, to to have worked with them. Uh, it would just have not felt good. And I also know I don't think I would have been able to just forgive them and work through all that in the moment. But the truth is that um, the forgiving process was hard and really actually took years um, and required me to put pride to death, I think, is maybe one way I could say it. But I think that's something that the, the season of Lent is about, is kind of as, as people journey towards Easter and journey towards the cross. Um, we're learning to, to put things to death and find things in ourselves, like unforgiveness, that we need to put to death. So, but uh, in this essay, anyway, Lewis goes on to talk about um, two mistakes that we make when it comes to thinking about forgiveness. The first mistake is, is regarding um, God's forgiveness of us. And then the second mistake is when it comes to thinking about offering forgiveness to other people's sins. So let's maybe first talk about thinking about God's forgiveness of our sins. Lewis says that when we go to God to ask him to forgive us, usually, and this is uh, where the quote begins, he says, unless I watch myself very carefully, I am asking him not to forgive me but to excuse me. And then Lewis uh, gives an example of what forgiveness says and an example of what excusing would say. So forgiveness says, yes, you have done this thing, but I accept your apology. I will never hold it against you. And everything between us two will be exactly as it was before. But on the other hand, excusing says, I see that you couldn't help it or didn't mean it. 
you weren't really to blame. And so Lewis says this, if one wasn't really to blame, then there is nothing to forgive. In that sense, forgiveness and excusing are almost opposites. And I find that really interesting. That was a kind of a new thought to me that, first of all, that forgiveness and excusing are even two different things, but then that they are maybe two ends of a different spectrum, opposites. Um, so William, you, you mentioned that you're a counselor and you mentioned to me that you've done some study and some teaching on the subject of forgiveness. When you teach, um, and particularly teaching kids in, in your counseling, um, about forgiveness, do you find that you have to explain the difference between forgiving and excusing for people? Well, I, I noted earlier that uh, I am in a, a secular setting, but uh, the, the, the doors are open if people have a, a background to where they have, um, you know, some religious or church type thing to, so uh, we, we can go in that direction. But what I thought in terms of what, what uh, I, I may do more commonly may, may seem to fit a little bit differently than what people might think about, but this is what came to mind in terms of the, the aspect of, of, of excusing versus forgiving, because um, just to briefly, uh, in terms of clarifying what I do, so the kid is the identified, uh, you know, having the concern, but then we deal with the whole system, the whole family, so the one or two parents that's, that's involved in the kid's life, uh, we help with some parenting education. So uh, in terms of, you know, forgiving and excusing, uh, one, one aspect that um, may not seem to fit perfectly, but uh, there's something in terms of in dealing with the entire family system, there is an element that is called normalizing or normalizing behavior. Uh, so specific to the parents that I might work with, I have to remind them that what is actually normal behavior for kids and that it is mm. normal for kids to misbehave and not listen to their uh, you know, parents. But in the sense that we're, we're talking about, then uh, the children have, generally speaking, some excuse for their poor behavior, but this doesn't take away their responsibility for their actions. Mm. In other words, um, parents are often like kind of surprised. Oh, my kid misbehaved. You know, it's kind of like you hold your breath. Hopefully the kid won't misbehave. No, kid's going to misbehave. It's so you're going to, you know, and so it's, it's excusable in one sense, but you, that doesn't take away from the parenting responsibility to, to correct, set appropriate boundaries, but that, that normalizing or just, you know, recognizing that it's going to happen, you can excuse it in one sense, not in the truest sense of what we're dealing with, but that's something that, that came to mind uh, about that. But uh, in terms of just like what we're going to talk about later about the, the, the three steps, um, you know, that's something even if you don't look at it from a uh, religious uh, aspect, a uh, Christian aspect, it, it can make sense, uh, just like in some materials in terms of, you know, trying to understand love uh, and one's love language. Um, you know, familiar with Gary Chapman's uh, material there, mm -hmm. but uh, in terms of like understanding that and doing for the person and speaking in their language. And, and one aspect that um, I know I uh, consider when I'm, you know, every day actually when, when I pray in terms of like, I, I literally remind myself, I am to love my wife as Christ loved the church, which is a self-sacrificing love that I can't naturally do without your strength and, and your guidance. And, and then mm -hmm. here's something I picked up from somewhere uh, that, you know, help me to be aware of the, not only just the things I say and do that may be loving, but then the things I don't say and don't do that might be loving mm -hmm. or not loving. 
And so while that has a, a Christian anchor to it in terms of being able to really truly put that into practice, some of those principles mm. can be shared with someone that maybe doesn't have any uh, any background. But um, so that's some aspect I was thinking about when you asked that question. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think it's, um, I, I don't think this part even necessarily needs to be uh, reserved for people who are religious, that just the difference between forgiveness and, and excusing. It's, um, it's not just for people who, <laughs> forgiveness isn't just something that people who are religious uh, can choose to do or not choose to do. I think by the end of the essay, we'll see why people who are Christians must forgive and are empowered to forgive, but why, you know, the difference between forgiveness and excusing is plain for people who, who may or may not be Christians. I, I noticed um, what you said made me think back to uh, about 10 years ago, I worked in a classroom as a teaching assistant for kids with behavioral challenges. And it was when I worked with them that I feel like I first learned this difference between forgiving and excusing um, because we had to teach them how to say sorry and how to apologize correctly. And I realized then that when they would uh, do something and then in order to re-enter the classroom, they would have to come and apologize and make amends in order to uh, regain trust, is what we said, because there were often some severe behaviors that they would engage in. And all we asked of them was to make amends and say sorry, because a lot of times there was not much else that they really could do to regain trust. Um, and, and again, a lot of times they are 10-year-old kids with severe um, behavioral challenges and, and diagnoses. And so what I realized, though, was my gut response when someone says, I'm sorry, is to just say, it's okay. Mm -hmm. And in our culture, I think that's just what we say is, it's okay. And I realized then when these kids would come in and say things like, I'm sorry I threw a chair at you, <laughs> I couldn't just say, it's okay. Right. I had to start saying, what you did was not acceptable, but I forgive you. And it was really interesting for me that it was in that situation that I learned the difference between forgiving and excusing um, in that context. Mm, yeah, yeah, that, that's very true, very powerful, because, yeah, there is, for those who you know, have chosen to, to try to put into practice of forgiveness, um, s somewhat of a, I hate to say a knee-jerk reaction, but kind of a automatic thing of, oh, no, that's fine, it's okay. But it's like, no, no, it's not okay. It's like, okay, thank you for, you know, yeah. for, for apologizing. I, I accept yeah. your apology. So what's interesting here is that next Lewis says that in reality... Sometimes what our actions, what our sinful actions consist of is partly mixed between things that are both understandable and excusable um, causes, like the things that produce our sin 
you can look at them and go, yeah, I can see why that happened. I can see why you did that. Um, I understand it. It's reasonable why that happened. Maybe even excusable. Or, or maybe it, it actually, the situation, it turns out to be nobody's fault, he says. Um, very often, it's a mixture of these things. But usually, there's a bit left over that is still inexcusable. And that's the part that needs forgiveness. If the whole thing, of course, is excusable, you don't actually need forgiveness. But then Lewis writes this, and I tried to break this quote down, but I think I'm going to end up reading the whole thing. It's pretty good. Mm, yes, very excellent. We, we can, I guess, break it down afterwards and discuss it. Lewis writes, But the trouble is that what we call asking God's forgiveness very often really consists in asking God to accept our excuses. What leads us into this mistake is the fact that there usually is some amount of excuse, some extenuating circumstances. We are so very anxious to point these out to God and to ourselves that we are apt to forget the really important thing. That is, the bit left over the bit which the excuses don't cover, the bit which is inexcusable, but not, thank God, unforgivable. And if we forget this, we shall go away imagining that we have repented and been forgiven when all that has really happened is that we have satisfied ourselves with our own excuses. They may be very bad excuses. We are all too easily satisfied about ourselves. So that is just a really rich and challenging quote. I kind of just want to open it up, William, and ask what stood out to you or what was challenging about that quote to you. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, it's, you know, it is a, a lengthy quote. Uh, I cheated in my uh, Word document version here. that In less than 140 words, Lewis explains hmm. something so uh, common that happens in our Christian lives. However, it's something that we probably haven't thought about it the way Lewis presents it. Uh, and so, you know, it's, it's challenging because it is so true, even though we probably don't realize uh, we were doing this until Lewis or maybe, you know, someone else has, has pointed out this distinction, explained it the uh, way it does. But now, you know, hopefully I'm not as bad uh, at asking God to excuse me when I really need to ask him to forgive me as I was 10 or five years ago or maybe even a uh, year ago. So, you know, that is, you know, you sure. know, without obsessing yeah. over how bad I can be, because uh, there's an aspect that we uh, won't necessarily get into, but uh, unhealthy guilt, uh, where someone is just always apologizing about something. It's like, ugh, you don't have to apologize for everything. Uh, so, you know, we do need to be quick to recognize that when we've sinned, and hopefully, you know, I, I'm better at it than, than I used to be, and, and to admit, you know, to admit it and then ask God for forgiveness, as well as sincerely apologize to whomever I've offended, mm. unless, of course, it's impossible or doing so might, you know, create um, uh, more problems. Mm. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was the same for me. Just at our church, we do confession every week, or at least in our prayer service, we, we say, we pray confession. And um, I have to ask myself when I read this, am I bringing to God a list of my sins? 
alongside a list of my excuses for each sin, <laughs> you know, is am I saying, okay, Lord, here's my sins that I'm bringing to you. But also you should know, you know, this one, this is why I did that thing. And this is why I did that thing. Um, or is it just a list of bare sins? It's like, this is, you know, this is it with no excuse. Here it is. Was there anything in that quote that felt helpful or encouraging? Because part of it feels a little heavy, but mm -hmm. I wondered if there's anything you felt more uplifted by. Well, when I was uh, looking over what you selected here, um, I um, especially highlighted imagining that we have repented. And, and somehow, even though, you know, the point is, is very clear as we're, you know, talking about it here, noting it here, then I, I have to admit that, you know, when I was looking over the notes uh, in, in advance of recording this essay, that in terms of because of the other points Lewis makes and such, that I, you know, actually missed this vital point, or at least didn't consider it as important as um, the other elements in the essay, but it, it definitely is, and it's uh, definitely worth, uh, you know, noting. Yeah, I think just this line in it where he says that our sins that are inexcusable, but not, thank God, unforgivable is a line that I might carry with me in my back pocket um, to church every Sunday, <laughs> or maybe just during the week all the time when I often find myself um, being reminded of my sin and feeling uh, guilty, or often, I don't know if, uh, if you're like this, but often I find when I remember my sin, uh, that line... I can't remember. I think it's from a psalm, but that my sin is always before me. Mm -hmm. And um, and I find when that's the case, the the enemy likes to run away with those those reminders of sin and try and make a big deal of them and and really drive this. Well, I guess drive the screw in. Mm -hmm. um, maybe that's a a good Lewis reference there. Um, and uh, by the way, if anyone wants a good um, book to accompany the screw tape letters, William's written one. Um, but yeah, just the enemy trying to remind me of my sin and my guilt. Just this line from Lewis that my sins might be inexcusable, but not, thank God, unforgivable. And it reminded me of Romans chapter 5, um, verses 8 to 11. Just the reminder that, that while we were enemies with God, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, and much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Mm. Yes, good passage. Yeah. Maybe just kind of as we wrap up this part of the essay, is there anything from this essay so far that you found practically helpful? Well, I think discussing the uh, different aspects that, uh, you know, is practically helpful in terms of just how Lewis lays out the difference between forgiving and, uh, and excusing, and in terms of also making sure that when we're praying to God, you know, we will tend to focus on excuses um, and then like leave out what we need to truly ask for forgiveness. I think that's very clear. But uh, in terms of giving some maybe practical uh, takeaway, a point here is is from um, a pastor named Chip uh, Ingram that maybe others have maybe broken it down this way as well. Uh, but he presents um, what you might call the three stages of forgiveness. That when um, 
someone does something, you know, that, you know, in this case, you know, is, is not excusable, but does definitely need to be, um, that you need to forgive. The first step is recognizing that you need to forgive somebody, which may seem oversimplistic, but it's like, okay, yes, someone did something that offended me. I need to forgive. And then, uh, it's, well, let me go ahead and give the three words. It's forgive, forgiving, and then forgiven. So you recognize hmm. the need to forgive. You go through the process of forgiving, which takes time. Uh, and, and we don't have time to really go into all that other than people who've tried to forgive, uh, you know, know that it does uh, take time if you're truly doing it and not just doing a band aid. Oh, no, no problem. No, that's okay. Uh, I forgive you. Yeah. And then after you've gone through that process of, of forgiving, then you reach a point to where you have forgiven the person. And so I, I found that to be a very helpful summary about some other things that we'll talk about next time where you noted about trusting. There's some good illustration that, um, uh, that I have from, from someone else that is really helpful in, in, in my life in terms of setting up appropriate boundaries uh, because forgiveness doesn't mm -hmm. mean that you become a doormat. Uh, and stuff. But uh, mm -hmm. those are some things we'll get into uh, when we cover the uh, next part uh, of the uh, essay in, in part two. Yeah. So here Lewis has said that it is dangerous to think that we have repented when really we've only satisfied ourselves with our own excuses. But uh, yeah, next time Lewis will go on to tell us two remedies for this danger. And we will be back with William next week to hear about those two remedies. So if you want to make sure not to miss that episode, why not hit the subscribe button on your podcast app and it will just automatically download. And now that you know that that's how that works, there's no excuse for not subscribing. But now that you have no excuse, if you still don't subscribe, I guess I will just have to forgive you. Well said. <laughs> yeah, well... I encourage you to check out William's podcast all about Jack and his books and many other projects, all of which have links in the show notes. Also, we wanted to thank our friend David Strovey once again for providing the music for today's episode. The song was one he and I wrote together based off a collect for Lent. A link to Dave's album, The Cathedral Project, is in the show notes as well. It has some great worship songs, so I encourage you to check it out, as there are a few that I find especially perfect for this season of Lent. Next week, William and I will be back to reflect on the rest of this essay, where Lewis turns to look at what it means to forgive other people. And so, until then... As you meditate on this lesser-known Lewis work this week, we pray that it would be Jesus who would become more well-known.
us cry.